It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Cardinals played two split squad games on Saturday. We'll tell you our takeaways coming up on B-Shave Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It is Saturday, February 24th, 2024. Let's talk about a couple baseball games, shall we? Cardinals playing two split squad games on Saturday, taking on the Miami Marlins in Jupiter, Florida, the game that I attended, covered for KMOV, and the game that took place, oh, about 45 minutes north on I-95. In Port St. Lucie, Cardinals taking on the Mets. Cardinals won the game against the Mets, lost the game in Jupiter against the Miami Marlins. They split the split squad, if you will. But we'll talk about some of the takeaways because the scores don't really matter. We're really trying to get a look at some of these players, figuring out, well, who's going to be relevant for the upcoming season in St. Louis. Appreciate you guys for joining me. As always, make sure to hit that subscribe button in the lower right-hand corner of the YouTube video. Subscribe to youtube.com slash at bshafer12 and the Shafe Daily Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And make sure to check it out, firstalert4.com slash sports. I put together a recap article from the games on Saturday. I have been feverishly writing articles ever since I got down here to Jupiter a couple of weeks ago. So make sure to check those out, firstalert4.com, or you can go to kmov.com slash Sports, it'll still redirect, despite the name change there. It is the weekend, but I wanted to make sure to get back on with the podcast because I've had some days where I've done one, some days this week where I have not been able to do one. Still lots of videos on the YouTube channel, but don't want to leave you guys hanging for too long. So let's go ahead and get into it. My takeaways from Saturday. We'll kind of go bullet point by bullet point. We'll start with the Jupiter game, since that's the game that I covered. And I've got the box scores here in front of me. We can go over anything relevant. And I think we'll start with the starting pitching because Matthew Libertor took the ball, got the start for the Cardinals in Jupiter. A little bit of a rough go for him in the first inning. Threw a ton of fastballs, and you might be wondering, okay, what was the velocity on those fastballs? Because the thing for him last year was the consistency throughout his starts of how hard he was throwing. And Ollie Marble said this morning that was one of the factors they were looking at, going to be looking at when they came into this game. Could he have the fastball velocity be where it needed to be? Another factor was could he get ahead early in counts and throw strikes? Not a whole lot of that in the first inning. Definitely pitched from behind a little bit. But I would say the velocity was good. 95, 96, touching 97 in the first inning. 
Second inning, he was really good with throwing strikes. He didn't actually throw a single ball, and the only ball that he was charged with was a pitch clock violation, but otherwise was pretty good in the second inning, one, two, three, but a couple runs allowed in the first, a couple of hits allowed a walk as well, kind of a lengthy at-bat there. And on the day, throws 33 pitches, 21 strikes, two innings, two hits, two runs, both earned a walk and a strikeout, which was, I believe, uh, the, the pitch to end the first inning. And he did have a, a couple of pitches at 97 today. But for Libertor, maybe not exactly the outing he was wanting, but I think you can take a little bit of positive out of the fact that he got better in that second inning and was able to pound the strike zone and was able to land those secondary pitches too because he only threw a couple, maybe two, three fastballs in the entire second inning. One of them, the 97-mile-per-hour pitch to end the inning, which I think happened on a ground ball. So good to see that he had the velocity still going in the second inning. But it was also good to see just generally he was able to kind of adapt to what had happened in the first inning and have a good second frame. He was outpitched, though, by Zach Thompson, and, and we think about these two guys being in sort of a competition with one another as we shift gears to the Port St. Lucie game. And I was watching the game on my laptop. Zach Thompson looked pretty good. Two innings, gave up a hit, a walk. No runs, though, a strikeout, and he only needed 25 pitches to get through. His two innings threw 14 strikes. It was interesting to hear from Matthew Libertor after the game because he said, look, the two of us are, are buddies. He said, Zach Thompson's one of the best friends I have in this clubhouse. Yes, I kind of understand that we're competing with one another, but in no way are we looking for the other guy to do lesser or struggle so that we, you know, so that I can take an opportunity. That's not at all where either of these guys are. Two lefties, yes, there might be a starting opportunity for one of them, but I think also you could see both guys making this team if they pitch well. And sort of the alignment that I figured could be the case coming into spring would have been Thompson as sort of that sixth starter and whether they end up using him that way or not. We'll see. We'll see if the other five make it through healthy. That's going to be part of it. But I thought Thompson maybe is a starter. Libertor maybe is a reliever. And I, I do want to see another opportunity, and I'm sure we'll get to, of Libertor starting or at least throwing multiple innings. He threw two innings today. You'd figure as they move along, in the Grapefruit League schedule, he'd throw probably three the next time if they're going to move forward with him in this starting rotation sort of competition, which I think they should do after today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. But at the end of spring, I think it's going to be decision time on how they're going to handle these two guys. And it will be interesting to see Ken Libertor sort of take that same mentality that he had toward the end of last season when he was pitching out of the bullpen, and he was really, really good. Had like a 2.8 ERA in the relief appearances that he had last year. 
a lot of which came at the end. Can he find a way to translate that attack-oriented mentality and do it over multiple innings as a starter? Because when the Cardinals traded for him, I, I certainly don't think that they were envisioning him becoming a relief pitcher. I think they thought, hey, this guy can be a good, solid middle-of-the-rotation starter. And as a lefty, that's a good way to break up your rotation. A lot of times you have several righties in there. So I think they were high on him as a prospect. And, and maybe this is the year when he can sort of make good on that promise and be somebody they could put into a rotation and, and feel good about that for years to come. But it's going to be interesting to see as the spring goes along, do they continue to give him more of those opportunities or do they start to kind of shift his workload and say, hey, maybe what you did at the end of last year is something that you can be moving forward, which is a really potentially dominant relief pitcher from the left side. Zach Thompson, he's a little bit older, but I also think that there is maybe more there in the tank in terms of being able to to sustain outings through five, six, seven innings and, and maintain himself as a starter. I think Libertor could perhaps do it too, but the Cardinals will have to eventually make a decision on that. And I don't think we're going to make too many sweeping generalizations about the first outing for both guys. Yeah, Zach Thompson was better today. Libby also said, though, you know, first thing he did, he went back to the clubhouse, checked out the box score and said, oh, I knew I, I knew what he was doing over there. And he threw really well. And I think those guys are both rooting for each other. So that was kind of cool to see. But basically, my takeaway is, yeah, Thompson, a little bit better. But I thought Libby got better as he went, was good in the second inning, which is valuable. And then we want to maybe see what it looks like the next time for him. I think it would be valuable to see Libertor over three, four inning stretches at some point this spring. Hopefully within five or six days, they can line that up. Made it a little easier today because of the split squad. Both guys were able to get the, the volume of work that you would have wanted to see. And then they'll kind of go from there. We'll keep it with the theme of pitching for right now and go through the rest of the arms. Anything that we notice. It was a tough day for Mike McGreevy, Cardinal prospect, former first round draft pick. He got a couple of innings, the first of which was really a struggle for him. Ultimately, gives up four runs, three earned, five hits allowed, no walks, just one strikeout, and did give up a home run in a couple of innings of work. Just a lot of hard contact, a lot of contact in general. We know Mike McGreevy tends to be a guy that's contact-oriented. If you followed him at all through the minors, he was with Memphis last year. I like that they got his feet wet, right? I like that they sort of gave him that opportunity against still the Marlins starters at that point because he pitched the third and fourth inning, so he was still seeing a good amount of the main dudes from over on that Miami roster, which for a guy that, again, 16 months ago, no, that's not right, 13 months ago, like January 2023, John Mozeliak said, yeah, McGreevy, Graceffo, these are, are guys that we're going to be looking at this year, and neither of them made that leap, and so rather than just say, all right, well, they're done, Cardinals are saying, well, they're still prospects. They're still kind of guys that are on the rise. Let's put them in an opportunity here for McGreevy and see what happens against some of the kind of primary big league hitters on the other side. It didn't go well today, but it was hopefully something that he can use as a learning experience. And uh, I, I still think give him a shot five, six days from now and see what it looks like. Not saying McGreevy is going to be in the mix to make this roster out of spring camp, but I do think that, I mean, they spent a first-round draft pick on him, right? So should be in a position where you're you're trying to prioritize what that could look like, what his growth could look like moving forward. It was not a good day, and, and yes, there are some concerns about if he's just a pitch-to-contact guy. They've got plenty of those. What can McGreevy do to sort of rise above? He's going to have to have impeccable command. 
is is probably the bottom line with that. Not a great day for him, but you know, it's still the, the first day of spring, actual spring training game. So I don't think we have to overreact to any of this. But uh, that is what happened. Tough day for McGreevy. Helsley looks solid. Couple of strikeouts. Did walk a guy. Did give up a hit, but two Ks. Good to see. Jojo Romero struggled a little bit with command, walking a couple of batters, but did not give up any runs. We also saw Wilking Rodriguez get into a game. A couple of base runners with a strikeout, but no runs. John King, I, I fully will admit to this. I, I didn't see John King pitch because by this point, I was uh, right outside the Cardinals clubhouse waiting for some of the players who had departed the game to leave the clubhouse so we could talk to them. But Daniel Descalzo was asked about John King's outing, said maybe a little trouble locating uh, when it comes to the sinker and uh, just getting that pitch down. Tough time for John King. Gave up three runs, four hits, uh, did have a strikeout, but kind of coughed up the game there for the Cardinals. As I, I think it was a uh, 6-6 tie. They ended up losing the game 9-8, something to that effect. I can't remember the exact score when John King came into the game, but not a great spot for him. Give him some more opportunities this spring for sure, but I do think when you look at the way that the left side of the bullpen is shaking out for the Cardinals, Romero's going to be there. I think one of Thompson or Libertor is going to be there. And then what sort of happens is there is the other guy in as the number six starter. Like if Thompson is on that opening day roster, Libertor could be in there as well in the bullpen. And that could be kind of what you have from the left side. There's also Andre Palante sort of floating around there as well. See exactly how he fits into the mix. Could he be a guy that specifically for that first series against the Dodgers, the Cardinals can consider valuable potentially and, and could, you know, shake up their bullpen on a series-to-series basis. We'll see how they started out because there has been talk about a six-man rotation that would honestly, you know, and clearly mean one fewer bullpen arm potentially, but there's a number of ways they could go about that, and we'll have to wait and see. But John King, by giving up a bunch of runs today, probably not doing himself any favors, but again, it is the first day of spring training game, so there is time when it comes to that. Ryan Fernandez, by the way, he is the Rule 5 pick, so there is incentive for the Cardinals to keep him on the roster the active roster throughout the season. Of course, there could always be an agreement maybe made with the Yankees of, yeah, okay, we're not ready to put this guy on our active roster, but financial compensation of some sort, we can keep him in the organization. Uh, but if you're Fernandez, had a scoreless inning today, gave up a hit, no walks, no strikeouts. He's trying to earn that spot as one of the righties in the bullpen. That was the way the pitching broke down for the Cardinals in Jupiter against the Marlins. Again, they lose that game 9-8. to eight. Over on to the Port St. Lucie pitching plan as the Cardinals won this game 10-5. to Zach Thompson, we mentioned, looked good. Adam Kloffenstein, and again, I was not locked in entirely on this, was kind of watching it on my laptop. Kloffenstein gave up a couple of runs. Uh, looks like a walk and three hits as well in two innings. So, uh, again, another guy that's probably not like imminently in the mix for the roster, but this is kind of a look at what your rotation depth could look like in AAA. So we'll see how Kloffenstein uh, progresses here for the Cardinals. Riley O'Brien did get a chance to see some of his outing, and he was basically sitting 98 miles per hour with the fastball. I have made this commentary now on Twitter, and I've done it on podcasts and radio, whatever. I think Riley O'Brien is going to make this team. I think he's been really, really good over the early days of camp. We're talking about the backfields, and then he gets into a game on day one, and the stuff is undeniable. He had a sinker that sort of uh, resulted in a sword, as they call it, with the way that the batter reacted to it there in Port St. Lucie. Uh, that was good for his one strikeout. Did give up a hit. A little bit of command issues in terms of maybe not hitting the spot that the catcher is setting up. But uh, when the stuff is that that raw and that powerful, I think there is a lot to like about Riley O'Brien. So for me, I look at the five guys that are guaranteed, in essence, a spot in this bullpen. 
Ryan Helsley, Gio Gallegos. Um, from the left side, Jojo Romero. And then the two new guys, Kittredge and Keenan Middleton. Those are the five. I think Riley O'Brien has probably got as good of a shot as anybody uh, in line after that to be able to make this team. Andre Palante had a good inning in Port St. Lucie with a strikeout and no base runners allowed. Nick Robertson is another guy came over in the Tyler O'Neill trade. Not as productive of a day for him. Pitched an inning, gave up three hits and a walk, as well as two earned runs. Did have a strikeout there, but he's another guy that you probably would say is is in that competition with guys like Riley O'Brien. And uh, for Robertson, not exactly the day that he would have wanted, but again, early on. Uh, Andre Granillo, somebody to keep an eye on. Did give up a home run, but I think the raw materials there with Granillo. Very, very interesting. He had a couple of strikeouts in an inning of work there in Port St. Lucie. And then Victor Santos was the guy to close things out in the Port St. Lucie game. Um, no walks, no hits allowed. Did have a strikeout in a scoreless inning. Santos, again, the other guy that came over in that Tyler O'Neill trade. So you got Robertson and Santos pitching in the same game. Um, I don't know what Tyler O'Neill's stats were today, but if he played, then uh, maybe you can Google that or check that out. So that's kind of the way it looked like from a pitching perspective for the Cardinals. Um, before we get into the hitting stuff, I will tell you an anecdote about Daniel Descalso because he was managing the Cardinals in Jupiter. Ollie Marmol went to Port St. Lucie, went on the road. I, along with a lot of the media, decided to stay in town because it's, again, an hour and a half in the car or not. I chose not, and uh, that was just an efficiency decision. So what it meant is we got to talk with Daniel Descalso after the game. And this morning before Ollie went up to Port St. Lucie, he was asked, hey, you know, any edict to Descalso not to get thrown out, ejected in his first game as acting manager with the Cardinals? And Ollie basically deadpanned. He said, no, he can do what he wants. I don't care. <laughs> if he wants to get thrown out, get him thrown out. So uh, no issues with the umpires for Daniel Descalzo. He was on his best behavior. He said this morning, like, no, you don't hold your breath. This is not, I'm not getting thrown out of this game. He didn't, um, but he did say after the game that he was a little bit maybe uh, disappointed in his counterpart there in Jupiter, reigning uh, NL manager of the year and uh, former, well, not former, but the 2011 world champion teammate, Skip Schumacher, teammates with Daniel Descalso on that team, didn't come out for the lineup card exchange. He sent the bench coach out, and he said, I think he kind of big-leagued me. I guess he only sends uh, you know, he sends the bench coach out because I'm, I'm not the manager on the other side. He only comes out himself when it's the real manager over there. So a little bit fun. Descalzo did say that he ran up and gave him a hug. I guess I don't know if that was after the game, or I, I assume it would have had to have been after the game. But that was kind of funny to hear from Descalzo. Um, again, Cardinals with the, the the game that Descalso managed lose it nine to eight. Only Marmol wins his ten to five, and so we asked uh, one of the reporters asked Descalso if he was going to hear some some smack talk from Ollie Marmol about that, and he said, "Oh, he probably already has a text or two he hadn't seen yet." But uh, just all in fun there, Descalso uh, was was good with us and and good for him to take some time to talk about the game. Cardinals lose it nine eight. Like I said, you know they they start a little bit slow, had it in that six to six range. And maybe even they took the lead. I can't remember because we were kind of out of the stadium by that point, but then Miami ends up scoring a few runs off John King. And so they kind of blow it late, but we really aren't too concerned about the results of these games specifically, but on the position player side, there were a few names that stood out. So I want to give you those. We'll keep it a little bit simple here for a Saturday night. We'll talk about Nolan Arnato. I want to talk about the two guys at the top of the order in Port St. Lucie, which was Brendan Donovan and Lars Newpar. And I also want to talk about one other player that was in that game in Port St. Lucie, which is Victor Scott II, because he had an interesting trip around the bases that I think highlights 
exactly how valuable of a guy that he could be. We might also mention Thomas Sejaci because he had a nice swing in that Port St. Lucie game. A lot of the guys that made impressions offensively were playing in the game that I was not at, unfortunately. But first, we'll talk about the game I was at. Nolan Arenado, a couple of hits. First time up to bat, he had a base hit that drove in Nolan Gorman. Kind of a bang-bang play, too, at the plate. Nolan Gorman gets sent. Pop Warner, a little bit aggressive today, I guess, over at third base. I, I assume it was him at third. Off the top of my head, I can't remember who all the uh, the coaches were because they had to obviously take some coaches to the road game. number of the coaches at home there with Descalzo acting manager. Nevertheless, Gorman sliding in, scored that run. That was the second run of the day because I think technically Brendan Donovan scored the first run of the day, like two minutes before the, the team in Jupiter scored. The team in St. Lucie had scored a run. And that came as a result of just a really nice sort of table-setting effort by Donovan and Lars Newbar. I think that the pair combined to go three for three in their at-bats. Uh, Donnie also reached base via hit-by-pitch. And they combined for three runs scored in RBI on base four times and, and four plate appearances. So I don't know exactly the way the Cardinals are going to do it. We Every different reporter this morning talking to Ali Marmel tried to ask sort of a lineup question. And he was proud of himself for fending them off the way that he did. I think I was number three in line and he said whatever he said about the answer to kind of lining it up left, right, left, right, which Donovan feels like he's got the inside track for leadoff. But then it's going to be interesting to see who will bat third between Newt Barr and Nolan Gorman. And it may be dependent upon situation, but the way I look at it is Donovan and Newt Barr both have sort of these on-base capabilities that would fit really well at the top of the lineup, but only one of them can bat first. And then by the time you get into like the number three spot, if Goldschmidt's going to bat two because they do seem to want to go left, right, left, right. So any lineup talk that I'm going to put forth is going to be based in reality. And again, the sense I'm getting from the Cardinals is that that's the way they're going to line this up. So as much as I would say, hey, Donovan, Newtbar, one, two, go for it. They're not going to stack the lefties that way, especially knowing that their nine hole batter is a switch hitter, typically, if it's going to be Tommy Edmonds. So they're not really going to do that. So we kind of anticipate Donovan, Goldschmidt, lefty. Will it be Newtbar? Will it be Gorman? And then Arenado with the other lefty batting fifth, probably Contreras number six. And then maybe they go Walker and stack like Edmund win at the bottom in whichever order. That's kind of my general sense for what the lineup's going to look like right now. But we're all trying to ask different ways of like who's going to bat third. And Ollie was proud of himself continuing to kind of bat those questions away. And then credit to Katie Wu. I forgot to mention this to her afterward, but she kind of asked Descalso in a, in a sneaky way of like, Hey, you know, Nolan Gorman looked pretty good in the three hole. You, you, you and Ollie think that maybe that's going to be, and and to Daniel Descalso's credit, he did not give it away. But I thought that was like a nice little way to maybe try to get some info with Ollie uh, up there in Port St. Lucie. But nevertheless, I don't know personally if I I think Gorman or Newtbar would be a better number three hitter. I kind of think Newtbar just because maybe more consistency in terms of batting average projection wise. Um, but but certainly probably on base. And is that three spot traditionally a power spot? Yeah, but Newbar doesn't have to be a huge power hitter to make sense in the three hole. I think you can just sort of say, hey, Donovan, you're getting on base for Goldie. Newbar, you're getting on base for Arenado. Gorman, you're driving anybody in who's still out there with guys like Contreras and, and Walker super capable to follow. I could see that making sense. You could also say that Gorman is going to see 
more of the type of pitches that he could succeed on if he's got Arenado batting behind him? That was another question that was asked. I think Jeff Jones asked that one, and it's a very interesting angle because it, it does their data suggest that, hey, if you put Gorman in there in front of Arnado after Goldschmidt, you've got the right-left-right combo. Is Gorman going to see more of the variety of pitches that he could handle compared to if he was batting lower in the lineup? Kind of an interesting concept. But uh, Gorman looked good, had the, had the double, and then Arnado was able to drive him in. And then the lefties that were batting up in Port St. Lucie, as I mentioned, uh, Donovan, Newbar getting on base a combined four times in four plate appearances. And then it was Thomas Sejaci that came into the game for Donovan. And Sejaci went one for three, but he had a double off the right center field wall, which was like off the yellow line, I think eight to ten inches further or higher up on the wall, and that ends up being a three-run homer for JC. Instead, it was a two-run double. Just wanted to mention him because when we see him get a chance potentially to get into a game at shortstop, and maybe I'm overplaying this and, and Ollie Marble's not going to give him that many opportunities, but if he gets some run at shortstop, I think that is an inside track for him to make the team sooner rather than later. Not saying it has to be out of spring training, but if JC is able to show the big league staff that he can handle shortstop in a pinch, I think that would help his utility to get to the roster. It's something I wrote about for KMOV. Again, check out all those articles that I've been writing at KMOV.com slash sports. I just think Sejaci, the bat we kind of saw last year, what do we know about him defensively? Well, he kind of has mostly played second and third, which they've got a lot of guys that can do that. But he's a right-handed bat who could also play shortstop. And rather than sort of dive into the Nick Ahmed veteran backup infielder who's got a good glove sort of category, the Cardinals could lean in on, hey, Donovan, if he can fill in at shortstop for Mason Wynn when necessary, he's a good bat from the left side to bat there. And then maybe Sejaci could be the exact same thing from the right side if those guys can just be league average defensively at shortstop. And I'm not saying either can, but it's a nice idea if, if either or both would be able to do so, especially if you're able to then keep Tommy Edmund more confined to center field on a regular basis because I think that's sort of what would be ideal at least defensively for the Cardinals. So I wanted to mention to JC, if he's going to be like a, my guy, then I have to mention when he does something good because um, otherwise the, you know, what, what am I doing? If I'm going to be biased and not kind of stand on, on for my guys. So anyway, let's talk about Victor Scott because he had a nice little game. Didn't see anything defensively from him, but he was one for three, a couple of runs scored also reached base via walk. So both times on base, he ends up scoring and the first of the two was ridiculously impressive. So, first of all, it was Josh Walker, I believe, was the pitcher for the Mets. And Victor Scott sends a comeback right next to his ear, goes into center field for a base hit. And you're probably thinking, okay, he stole a bunch of bases and scored. No, he he made it all the way around the bases without stealing one because early in the next count... It's a ground ball, left side, second baseman was playing up the middle. He ranges to the left side, tries to like glove hand flip it to the bag, failed to do so, but that's because, again, Victor Scott is fast. He's bearing down on the second base bag, and they know that they don't have a lot of time. It was an awkward play for the second baseman, moving to his right across uh, toward left field, and so he's probably not able to throw out the guy at first base anyway, tries to make a quick play. It ends up going as an infield single. Everybody's safe. Your guy, Victor Scott, again, base hit, gets to second base on an infield hit that in part I think he forced because the second baseman might might be able to try and make a different play if it's not Victor Scott running to second base. Then it's a balk on Josh Walker, who's a left-handed pitcher. 
feels the presence of Victor Scott II behind him, tries to step off, make a throwback. It, it doesn't work out. It, it's ruled a box, so suddenly we see Victor Scott at third. And then it's basically like a one-hop chopper to Brett Beatty, the third baseman, who's playing, you know, at least even with the bag, maybe even a step or two in, fields it fine, throws it fine. He ended up getting charged with an error on this play, but I didn't even think the throw was all that bad. But the catcher, Tomas Nito, was trying to get the ball, tag Scott. He knows he's coming down the line with, with some serious mustard behind his legs. And at the end of the moment, it's a run scored for the Cardinals because Victor Scott slides in there. Tomas Nito can't hold on to the baseball. The ball gets away. Second run comes around to score. Long story short, Victor Scott is fast. Yeah, Victor Scott's going to be a problem for opposing pitchers. And I think defensively, I mean, I, I've seen him out there on the backfields uh, taking as many extra fly balls, shagging balls as he can throughout spring training. Haven't seen him in the batter's box a ton because it seems like when that when they've had him in BP or live BP, he's always been on the far field that I just have not been able to make my way to. So I admittedly haven't seen a ton of him batting, but was able to get a base hit in the game today and then just kind of mosey around the bases for a run. His speed is dynamic. He's still 94 bases total last season in the minors. That's a pretty impressive number. I feel like there's an opening for him, especially if some things happen at the major league level where where health is not a guarantee for the center fielders. Like right now, it's Edmund who's not full speed. Um, the Cardinals insist that the, the ankle for Dylan Carlson is in a better spot than it was last year. But if that ends up being a concern at all, really Victor Scott is just being able to consistently hit big league pitching away which is not a small thing, but that's really all it is to me from from being able to have him on the team regularly. And then obviously the Cardinals being able to devote playing time to him would be another factor in that. But I think he's really interesting. And if you talk about uh, it being a priority to have good defensive center field play and a guy with range and instincts that can help out your pitching staff, I think Victor Scott checks off all those boxes and what he could potentially bring for the lineup like, think in conjunction with guys like Mason Wynn and Tommy Edmond running the bases, the Cardinals could have a very interesting dynamic from, like, a speed perspective. Guys that can can run the bases well, can steal bases. Victor Scott, I think he's on the way. I don't know how soon he'll get here, but would not be surprised uh, as of right now to see him make a debut at some time in 2024. So those are kind of the, the, the guys that I wanted to touch on and break down from the games today. Um Matt Kaperniak went three for three with three RBIs for the Cardinals in the game in Jupiter. Nobody else really standing out too much from the box score that feels uh, like it bears mention. Uh, Butch Berger, I, I think I'm saying that right, two for three with two runs scored in uh, coming into the game for Arenado in Jupiter. After that, not a ton. Um, yeah, not a ton necessarily that I that I feel like um, I'm missing. Uh, Crooks had. Uh, one for three day, two RBIs, reach base via walk over in Port St. Lucie. Again, this is Jimmy Kirks, I believe. This is just stuff I'm reading at this point, not stuff I actually saw. Nice little uh, two RBI base hit, if I recall correctly, for Luke and Baker. So that's cool. That's sort of the breakdown, though. Um, yeah, I listed everything else that I wanted to say. So that's kind of the way it broke down from Saturday, Cardinals fans. What did you think about the games that you did watch or you heard about or whatever your impressions were from, from Saturday. It's a one and one record, I guess, technically, because they won one, they lost one. Who stood out for you if you were locked in on the games? And if you weren't, who are you looking forward, uh, excuse me, looking forward to seeing the rest of spring? 
I'm going to wrap things up there right around a half an hour for this episode. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, for reading the coverage at KMOV.com slash sports. Make sure you subscribe on this YouTube channel because lots of Cardinals coverage will be on the way. And subscribe to Be Safe Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That'll do it for this edition of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace. Nope, just kidding. This isn't going to be edited, like, at all because I'm just throwing this in at the end. But did you guys see the 5-4-3 play that the Marlins had to end an inning when there was nobody on first base running to second? Third baseman throws to second. It was not a force out at the base. There was already two outs, runners on second and third. And the second baseman just receives the ball, throws to first, gets the out, inning over. But nobody ever explains why the second baseman was covering the bag. Why was he there in the first place? If you guys didn't see this, go to my Twitter account, at for 12 I do not understand what happened here. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in a spring training game, it was that kind of day at Jupiter. Okay, that's seriously the end of the episode. Thank you, guys. Talk to you next time. Peace.